Hey there, guys. Uh, before we get into episode three, I just wanted to uh, call and give you a quick heads up. We had a couple of technical issues um, while we were recording episode number three. Um, certainly nothing that makes uh, it hard to listen to it, but um, you may notice just a couple of places where we had to sort of stop and edit. Um, we did an interview for this one with Dead Broke Nerd, and um, we did have just a couple of disconnects in there um, that we had to get sorted out and, and figured out. So uh, go ahead and enjoy this episode. Thanks so much for tuning in with uh, Legends Cast, and, and once again, uh, please enjoy episode number three uh, with Dead Broke Nerd. Hi, and welcome to episode number three of Legends Cast. I am your host, Mark, from outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And with me today, I have a very, very special guest. And for the first couple of episodes, I just barely got done and recorded and threw up um, before the latest expansion. I've been saying I'm going to try to get a guest on here. And I said in the first 10 episodes and, uh, uh, you know, someone responded to me and was was gracious enough to jump on, which is really incredible. So uh, with me right now, I have uh, as a guest dead broke nerd. Uh, what's going on, man? Hey, dude, it's really awesome to be on, man. I uh, when, he, when he sent me something, I was like, hey, man, that, that sounds like a blast. And I have so much uh, I'm having so much fun with this new set. I was like, I am. I will talk about it with anybody, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, there's all kinds of stuff to talk about whenever new cards hit uh, any any sort of a card game, but especially a game. I feel like Elder Scrolls Legends um, with Tesla. I feel like you just have there, there's so much to talk about because uh, there's so much that's unsolved when something new hits in this game. Um, so you just have so much opportunity just to talk and, and, and maybe never get anywhere or make any correct predictions but there's certainly an opportunity to talk about stuff oh yeah oh yeah for sure yeah so i just want to take an opportunity and just say thank you because uh you know uh i if you listen to my first couple episodes which i'm assuming if you're listening to episode three most people have listened to the first couple um you know i started off in podcasting doing hearthstone podcast and uh never really made much headway you know, we begged for a year for people just to literally send us an email no one ever sent us an email <laughs> we only the only person who ever really talked to us or, or listened i think was people that we knew in real life um and personal friends of those friends um so thank you so much deadbrook nerd for being willing to come on because i mean not only are you a streamer who i thoroughly enjoy watching and is one of my favorite streamers to watch um especially in tesla probably you are my favorite streamer to watch inside of tesla for sure even if you haven't been on this past week um <laughs> Uh, but but also you're a caster, you're a content creator, you're a podcaster. I mean, you really um, put yourself in um, to this community. So t- tell us just a little bit about that. How did you get involved with Tesla? Um, tell us a little bit about like what games brought you to Tesla and, and what got you involved in uh, this particular gaming community. Yeah. Um, so this is actually really funny. And I don't know if, if even you remember it. But I actually started off, I streamed Hearthstone for about uh, a month or two. And it was, you know, a couple years back when, when I was still in college. And I loved it. I loved streaming. And then the hard drive on my laptop blew and I had to stop. So uh, and I never got back to it. But uh, and at that time, and I remember, uh, you, you were one of my, like, 
15 followers when I first started. Uh, and I don't even know if you remember that because I, I had a, such a short-lived uh, streaming career at the time. But yeah, uh, so it was really cool actually that when, when, you, uh, when you started watching. Uh, so thank you to you for being a long time <laughs> uh, supporter. But um, yeah, so like I actually moved over from Hearthstone uh, because my favorite content creator in Hearthstone was Bradford Lee. Uh, Bradford Lee, of course, was one of the very early Elder Scrolls Legends uh, streamers and content creators and, you know, competitive players. He casted. Uh, and, he, you know, he's the kind of attitude that I want to emulate in my mind. And, and unfortunately, you know, he doesn't stream Elder Scrolls anymore. But uh, he was the guy that I looked to as like, this is what this is what makes streaming look really cool. Right. Like mm, he was the guy sure. that I said, this makes me want to stream. Um and so when he moved over to Tesla, I tried Tesla, and I've played card games my entire life. I started with Pokemon, and I was six, and I played in local tournaments. I played Yu-Gi-Oh! all through, like, elementary school and, and middle school, and I would go to tournaments for that, too. Uh, I eventually started playing a Versus System card game that was, like, superheroes, and it was actually, it was, I mean, it's a relic of another age, because that was a card game that had Marvel and DC in it, and that would never <laughs> happen these days. Uh, no, they're a little too competitive nowadays. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, that was before the, all the movies were coming out. But uh, anyway, so I played that for a long time. I was very competitive at that. Um, and anything on the East Coast, that, that like big tournaments on the East Coast, uh, I would go and play in. And um, that was kind of my high school uh, card game career. But uh, when I went to college, I didn't have anyone to play with anymore. I played Legend of the Five Rings with the local group. But uh, I wanted to play actually with my, uh, with my friends and my dad. Uh, my dad being the person who got me into card games. Um, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, and so it was uh, Hearthstone was a way to actually play with him because I said, hey, look, there's this digital game. We can play but not be at the table together, you know? Uh, wow. and so yeah, that's that awesome. Was, yeah, I mean, that was that was a very big thing for me because uh, we're, you know, we're very close, and so it was like, okay, I can do this at, at college and still get that gaming fix, you know? Uh, but then, yeah, so Elder Scrolls Legends, basically I found myself last year um, – and I'm coming up on a year streaming, um, like it's July. Yeah. But uh, I had been doing uh, contracting work, and I was getting paid pretty good, and you know, but it was long, long days, and and you know, I said I have the money that I can uh, take some time and try to you know work some of my part-time jobs and start streaming because it's something I've always wanted to do. And so it, it's been uh, that's hence my moniker, the dead broke nerd. I rebranded because I was like, I don't have money anymore because now I'm doing this. Sure, uh, sure. But yeah, and I, I started streaming and picked up some followers. I, I was streaming at a point where a lot of people had stopped streaming Tessel because it was in that really long downtime with Houses of Morrowind. Sure. You had uh, you had, you know, CVH left, got hired by Bethesda. And he was like the the guy that people were watching. Bradford Lee, everyone would log on and watch Bradford Lee after CVH got off. Um, yeah. You know, even when they were enticing you by, by dropping 600 gold in your pocket every four <laughs> hours, they couldn't get people on on the game. Yeah, exactly. So like after House of Tomorrow and I mean, last year, like after like immediately after Master Series, like the, the meta started getting stale. Everybody started getting frustrated with the uh, conscription Tobani. Uh, and sure. so uh, I jumped in and like it was a small section and people's people started watching because there wasn't a lot of other choices uh, when Matt Oblivion wasn't streaming it. So uh, it started growing and eventually I started casting because Warp Meta couldn't get somebody one week. They just couldn't get somebody. They're like, who's going to cast with Costa? We can't get anybody. And it was it got to the day before and I was like, okay, I'll do it. You know, I, 
<laughs> I have been streaming for two months, but I'll do it. And they're like, all right. And it kind of just snowballed from there. Wow. I mean, that, that is, that's really cool. Uh, you know, uh, one, of, one of the things that I love about Tesla and one of the things that sort of like, I, I was literally sitting in my house like a week ago and um, I had just mowed the grass and I was like, you know, I really want to listen to a podcast about Tesla. I was just getting back into it, wanted to hear some reviews of moons of elsewhere. And I, I logged on looking at Apple podcasts and couldn't find anything anywhere. Um, and the most recent one was, uh, was yours from cast podcast at a time back in June. And so I listened to that, but I was like, you know, no one is putting out a, a weekly show, um, where in Hearthstone, I mean, I was one pod, one weekly podcast amongst dozens of weekly podcasts. You know, we were just sort of in the noise. And I love the Tesla community. I love the people that are in it. Um, I, I actually really, you know, the developers and stuff, I like the care that they take towards the community as well. And I know that people have had some critiques of that over the years, but um, I, I, I've really liked the way that they've dealt with the community more than I've liked the way that uh, maybe developers have dealt with other communities that I've been involved with. And so, uh, you know, I, I've really enjoyed this, the, the Elder Scrolls Legends community. And I was like, you know what? Heck, like tonight, I'm just going to pull out my mic and record an episode of a podcast for this. And uh, sure enough, I found a, a hosting thing, uh, an app on on iPhone to host a podcast. And I was like, I'll throw it out there and just see. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I see that, you know, that's kind of been one of the things for you, too. The community's small, but it's a really cool community um, to get plugged into. And there's lots of opportunity, um, in oh, it, which is cool. Yeah. I mean, for sure. Seriously, like one of the things that I'm still amazed at is back in, I want to say, October, November, the fact that they actually said, yeah, sure, you can cast nobody, you know, Mr. Nobody, you can cast. Sure. Why not? You know, and uh, I mean, it's, it's just a crazy, I think, string of events, but it is a very uh, it's a very opinionated community, but it is also a very welcoming one. Um, everybody, everybody is very uh, hardline on their opinions, but but they are. It's because they're passionate about the game and they want to see it grow. You know, which is always you know, even when even when things are frustrating, it always is coming from you know a good place. <laughs> yeah, and I think that there are there's a difference between a, a community with strong opinions and a toxic community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been plenty of, in plenty of games that have more of a toxic community. I mean, literally part of my Hearthstone podcast was after I would beat someone and they would friend request me, um, I would accept it to see what they said to me. And then I would read out what they said to me on the podcast. If it was, it all family friendly. Um, and, and like every week I would just have an update. Like, yeah, I beat this dude at rank four. And, um, you know, he told me to go bash my head in with a brick. Um, and so, you know, it's like, it's like, holy it's like, cow. The, uh, it's like when they uh one of those uh, one of those late night shows where they have celebrities read mean tweets like that. that yes. That's a pretty great segment. <laughs> it was. It was. I almost wish like it had happened more often that I could have you know had more people say things to me. Um, but it was one of my favorite things to do on our podcast because it was just always it was just always funny and we would always end it like that like end the podcast by me reading that and then us saying good night, uh, me and my co-hosts and uh you know it was it was great but uh, yeah and so you know interestingly enough our our origin in gaming is, is pretty similar. So I started off with Pokemon as well. Um, in 1999, I was in sixth grade um, when I started collecting the the trading card game. Um, I played Battletech in fourth grade before that, which is, I honestly don't even know if that was the actual name of it, but it was some sort of a collectible card game with a game involved where you had mechs. That's all I really remember. Um, and I had a couple of packs of it and, and my buddy always swindled me out of my good cards. That's all I really remember about that game. And, um, you know, then I made the transition to Magic 
Magic the Gathering once I was in seventh or eighth grade and play, played that pretty regularly. And actually, I moved to digital games because the person that I played with was my brother. And um, my brother's like a semi-competitive Magic the Gathering player. Um, you know, I don't in the Pittsburgh in one of the Pittsburgh tours, Pro Tour uh, qualifiers. Um, you know, he placed in like the top 32. And so he's a he's a really great Magic the Gathering player and super super competitive. Um, but as he got more competitive, I got less competitive. And then I got more frustrated and, you know, it was so, you know, I love it when people complain about games like uh, Hearthstone or Tesla being expensive that you got to spend, you know, a couple hundred bucks on it a year. And, and, you know, like my, my brother, uh, like sold a part of his collection to, to like get a down payment for his house. Like, um, and he yeah. wasn't even taking full value on, on the cards that he sold off. I mean, we're talking like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, you know, some of his fully hollowed out decks are four or five grand a piece. And, um, you know, coming from that environment where games were that expensive, a game like the elder scrolls legends was just like so, so welcoming because it gave so much away for free. Um, and I've been semi free to play, but for the most part outside of maybe, 35 or 40 bucks i am free to play and i've gotten way more than 35 or 40 bucks worth of value from this game for sure oh yeah for sure and i was playing hearthstone as well and then i would sort of get bored between expansions as metas sort of i mean a, a hearthstone meta is solved usually within like four or five days of a new expansion coming out and uh sometimes before that and so i would get so bored with it that i would just go back to legends and be like you know what i'm just gonna dabble around on this and play on this a little bit and just that little bit built a collection for me to the point now where i have enough of a collection where i can build just about any deck that i wanted or i can craft any cards that i don't have um and that has been a really cool i mean i was part of like the golden age of twitch drops as well yeah oh i remember that didn't hurt. I mean, there was a while where I found out the trick that like it dropped something every six hours. And if you pulled up eight tabs with eight different streamers, you would usually get a drop within two to three minutes. Um, yeah. And so like every four hours, I was logging on, opening eight streams, getting a drop. And then, you know, during the day, I would watch a streamer in the evening. I'd watch a streamer for real. Um, but during that time, you know, 600 gold drops, 1500 soul gems, you know, a pack of cards um, was something that really built my collection really quickly. Um and, and gave me the ability to, to switch games from Hearthstone over to Elder Scrolls, which is, you know, one of the main draws for me to play Elder Scrolls is I, I like playing competitively. And I think that this game between this and Hearthstone, and you still play Hearthstone, right? I do, yeah. It's uh, it's it's much more my casual game in that, like, you know, I, I play Hearthstone, I play Gwent, you know, and I like those games because I really like to mix things up, you know, but I don't really focus on, on laddering on, on either of those. I don't really care if I end up at high ladder or low ladder in, in any given month. <laughs> it's just a change of pace, you know? I talked in episode, I think, one of this, I said, you know, I think that Elder Scrolls Legends is a game that rewards smart gameplay more than, um, I've never played Gwent outside of On the Witcher itself, um, but I, I think this rewards smart gameplay better than some of the other card, digital card games that are out there that sort of feel like you have to grind your way through stuff to get through, like, the randomness slog of... Uh, of whatever's on running on the ladder right now that can just screw you um, for to no fault of your own. Um, and I definitely feel like uh, Elder Scrolls rewards smarter gameplay and smarter deck building than other games that are out there. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I think largely I agree. Elder Scrolls deck building and um, frankly, I think that you know, especially execution, you know, of your game plan and, and stuff. There's a lot like you you can win in Elder Scrolls. And, you know, at certain ranks, it, it can be you can make mistakes and 
That, but that's any card game, right? Because if the opponent's also making mistakes, hey, whatever. But I think Execution, yeah. Like, Elder Scrolls Legends is a tough game. I love... Uh, everybody loves to quote Indozoa, uh, one of the co- competitive players, and he says, nobody's good at Tessel. And it's true. Nobody's mm. actually good at Tessel. Uh, because there's always something else you can be doing, something you can learn, a different card you didn't anticipate. There's a lot of... There's just a lot of factors that go into any given play, any given turn, and... Yeah, but I, I will say I will say props to, to Gwent. I think that while Gwent actually executing is it's the game plays so differently, but I think Gwent is uh, actually executing your strategy is a little bit easier because in many ways you you know what you want to do. But I think the deck building in Gwent is one of the most like brilliant, deep, interesting things uh, in digital card games. I think I love building decks in Gwent uh, more than anywhere else, really. So. Uh, I think there's there's strengths, but if you, you're right, if you're going to pick one game to truly try to master, I think Elder Scrolls has the most to offer. Yeah, I mean, it really has. There's a tremendous amount of, of things that you get from Elder Scrolls because of the, the rules that are in the game between, um, and you know, you could argue the, the runes and the prophecy thing probably a lot back and forth. But for me, coming uh, from a you know a card game that didn't have that, coming from Hearthstone, um, it was really welcomed uh, in in Elder Scrolls. And um, sure, there there are some days when you know there's a there's a first rune prophecy, and I hit the close button on my iPad, shut it, and just walk away for the remainder of the day. Um, <laughs> but but for the most part, um, I there, there's never really a time when I pick up Elder Scrolls when I'm not intrigued enough to create a homebrew deck and to take it out on the ladder and see how it does. Um, whereas in previous games, you know, in Magic the Gathering, the meta was solved, Hearthstone, meta was solved. There really wasn't a point to play something that somebody else didn't already prove was the best thing to play. Um, and I feel like in Elder Scrolls, there's enough wiggle room, enough flexibility that you can go on there and still do well and get into that legend rank every month um, without having to, uh, you know, pull together the absolute best, most optimal deck. Um, you can try and experiment with new things and catch people by surprise, which is a, a really cool part of this game. Especially once the meta is solved, I really like making anti-meta decks, uh, which sure. I, you know. I really enjoyed uh, back in Tribunal meta, which, you know, we might be seeing again sometime soon. Uh, but uh, I really enjoyed playing Hulking Scalon and trying to say, okay, the concept here, Telvani and Tribunal lose to Hulking Scalon. How can I get Hulking Scalon out as fast as possible? <laughs> you know? And, and <laughs> yeah, how playing, can I uh, cheat it? Yeah, playing Archer and uh, running Brotherhood Slayers and uh, Brennioff and Torval Extortionist. And Astrid, and just trying to get as many completed contracts or, you know, free magic on a turn and drop scale on, like, turn six. Uh, and then I hear a pair of switch strikes. Now, that's pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. When you can pull off something like that, it does it does feel good when you can read what's going on in the game. And then you can say, you know what, we're going to build something that can just beat that. Yeah. Um, and uh, and even if it doesn't beat anything else, I'm, I'm going to beat that every time. Um, and that yeah. <laughs> uh, that often feels really good, and, and it definitely is another really cool. It's rewarding. Like I feel like Hearthstone often made me feel stupid, um, whereas often Elder Scrolls Legends make me, makes me feel clever. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I'm, I come from a tabletop background, and so playing board games that's one of those key factors that come into any really solid game um, in terms of design. It's it's rarely you know does it have the best components or the best whatever um, best rule set, but people want to feel clever. 
Um, mm-hmm. They don't they don't want to feel stupid. And so if you can design a game that can pretty consistently, even when you're losing, make you feel pretty clever. Um, people keep coming back to that because they want that feeling. Um, they want the feeling of, of like, wow, I was I was pretty smart there or I, I got I figured that one out. Um, I, I unlocked that puzzle. And I think that is a, a cool part of Tesla because I get that consistently coming back to it. Now, sometimes you play beat down decks and you don't get that. You're just beating people to death. But, um, <laughs> you know, there's lots of ability to, to feel clever in the game. So let me ask you this, Deb Nerd. We just had the release of Moons of Elsewhere. And I usually try to just talk for a couple of minutes about what the heck we've been, what the heck have I been playing? What am I experiencing? So, you know, you just uploaded a new YouTube video I saw. So you're definitely experimenting around with decks. Um, I know you've been busy in your own personal life, but what have you been playing when you've gotten a chance to get on Tesla the last couple of days? Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, I've been crazy busy, unfortunately. Uh, I had to pick up uh, a lot of extra overtime work this week, so that's a little uh, annoying because I haven't been able to stream. So all my experimentation has been like in between things at work and stuff like that. But uh, the only deck I've been able to seem to win with at the moment has been a Wax Wayne Tempo Assassin, which uh, is the video I, I did put up. I've been experimenting with actually Dragon spell sword so like control dragon spell sword sure, but it's not sure. like uh it, it really so if you take Aini's like um rage crusader which he played in the masters qualifier i basically took that template uh and like heavily amped up the drain so running undying dragons Ebonheart mm-hmm. oracles uh obviously we're running uh prophecy golden initiate there it is uh yeah sure you know and so i've had some success with that one I, i'm still refining it and still kind of lacking something and i haven't quite figured it out unfortunately the awkwardness with spell sword is you don't have any uh you don't have board clear until eight when you get dawn's wrath so it's it's definitely it's interesting i've been kind of up and down with that but i I definitely see some potential there um you know it's been it's been fun i will say i've lost to zero mana javelin a lot in fact Mm. i was tracking that i got a chance to play like you know a good 10 or 11 games uh, last night, and uh, every game that I lost was um, every game that in every game that I lost there was a prophecy piercing javelin. Mm. Uh, that card is being run by everyone. People are experimenting with mid monk. Uh, people are experimenting with mid range everything right now it seems, and so everybody is putting those prophecy javelins in. And if you're, you know, I think I'm magnetically attracted to javelins <laughs> uh so it's been frustrating uh but when i don't hit prophecy javelins i seem to do pretty well with this uh, assassin build so consume also seems really interesting i i've i've messed around with a little bit of consume and it, it seems very uh explosive but easily answered yeah so i've been playing uh so I, i've been on the ladder a, a pretty good amount since thursday at release um so we're actually we're like we're ready to have we're gonna be having a, another a kid here soon so we were out and when release hit i was like out at a doctor's appointment um like trying not to be distracted to go open packs um and so uh, i got home i sat down bust open some packs and I, I crafted a bunch of cards and um you know the consume mechanic is the thing i'm most interested in in this set like mm-hmm. far above and beyond i don't i don't mind wax and wane but basically if the shrine isn't down i don't care about it 
Um, and so like the thing that I've been most interested in is definitely consume. I love graveyard mechanics and spending once again, years in Hearthstone without a graveyard. Um, and knowing that I love that for magic, the gathering is one of the things that really drew me back to Tessel. And so, um, you know, I've always toyed around my first deck really when I got into Tessel was I built the ramp scout deck. Um, of course, after prophecy battle mage, which everyone builds first. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I built prophecy battle mage and my next one, like as I won games with that was to, was to craft ramp scout and play with that. And so that's something I'm drawn to. Um, and I've been playing like a mid rangey consume, uh, astronaut sorcerer. Um, and honestly, like it's, it's almost exclusively blue. It's almost all intelligence, um, based. Um, but that new Khajiit that consumes and summons oh, yeah. a storm elemental, the, I don't even know how to pronounce Pronounce Alphique Conjurer is just silly. Um, is just silly. And when you can consume something that gives it plus one, plus one in ward, and you're putting out like a four, five ward with a seven, six ward or seven, five ward, um, and your your four, five has 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 taunt as well or guard. Um, <laughs> holy cow! Is it? It's just like. It's just you not only have all the damage now, I have all the damage to finish the game. Um, so you better have a hard removal answer. Um, but I'm also slowing down any game plan that you have. And so what I love about that card is it does two things. It puts tons of pressure on a control deck to say you better have some answers here and you better have them quick because you're not going to remove this easily. Um, and it also says, hey, if, if you're playing aggro and I get to turn six, I'm probably going to be putting a pretty big damper on your plan. Um, and I'm probably going to be hurting you. And uh, and so I really enjoyed the consumer deck but i'll be honest i think the problem with your spell sword deck is that you the thing you want to add is the keller red um i think that's <laughs> that's the problem. uh that's the, yeah, card you're the old red and dragon yeah yeah, so that was my other experiment, and the thing that I've been toying around with is Rhetoran Control Dragon, and um, oh my gosh, just uh, when that deck just gets past like turn six or seven, like there's just nothing you can do about it. I mean, it's just it has drain, it has guards, it has removal for days. Um, you know, you don't have Ice Storm. That's one thing that you do not have, um, but you have Big Dragons. It's a super fun deck to play because you're playing with some of the coolest cards in the game, in my opinion. Um, and it, it's definitely strong. I, I don't think it's as strong as this Consume Sorcerer that I've been toying around with just because of Offbeat Conjurer. Um, that card is just so, probably going to get nerfed, um, <laughs> in my opinion. I could be wrong. Maybe they'll find a way around it, but it just seems super strong right now. Um, but it's definitely been a fun deck to play. So that's what I've been toying around with, uh, Redoran Dragons and, um, like a mid-rangey Consume Sorcerer with a lot of Atronaut activity in it, um. And what I found to be, well, we talk about this in a bit, but what I found to be really interesting is um, Skeletal Mage. It's the it's a seven mana three five that you consume a creature and deal damage equal to its power to a creature. Mm-hmm. Um, like you throw down, uh, you know, a conjurer that throws out a fire elemental. They clear your fire elemental, and then you have a, a five point damage swing to throw back at one of their one of their creatures in the future while uh, putting a three five on the board. Um, definitely been a really powerful card that. Um, I thought it was going to be good, but I think I probably underestimated it some. It's definitely strong. Yeah, I heard a lot of people, uh, you know, not super excited about that, and I, I was really not sure where to go. And everybody was like, "Oh, well, maybe if the consumer, maybe if the imbued cards are good, then this will be good." But it's it's kind of one of those things. Like the issue with it is, you, you don't necessarily want it on curve um, because 
you know, sometimes you won't have been able to play something that's particularly big uh, exactly on seven. Uh, but like, man, it's basically like think the value of Oncano is the fact that you can send five damage face. But most of the time, you're going to use it to remove dam- or remove damage from your opponent's side of the board, or to yes. clear pesky guards, or you know creatures with cover that have an important synergy, you know. And so when you think about that, that this skeletal mage effectively does that uh, for one mana less earlier on the curve, and also of course just simply the fact that you know it's it doesn't it doesn't go face, it's, it's less flexible, you know. But it, it's still but it's you still can run quite three good, and you can run three of them, so you can kind of double down on that. That effect that Ancano as a unique only has one. It's really it's really fascinating, yeah. There's many times with Arcano too where like I almost wish he did not have breakthrough, right? Because mm-hmm. like I'm playing him and I have to get rid of that thing in the shadow lane, but when I get rid of that thing in the shadow lane, I'm gonna break a rune and give them a chance of a prophecy. I'm definitely giving them a card. And I, I'm gonna lo- I could lose to that just as easily as I could lose to this creature that I'm leaving on the board. Um, whereas this is just like no, like it, it, it's not as flexible. But you're also never worrying about breaking a rune. Um, and you know what I found, kind of like value-wise, was like if you could dump something by turn seven with four attack into the graveyard, which I think is pretty easy to do, quite honestly. Like. I mean, you you have literally two attack creatures in this game that have four attack. Um, So if by turn seven you can have in the board, you're getting the removal, you know, board removal of a lightning bolt, um, which is four mana. And then, which means it costs seven, so you're you're paying three mana for a three-five body. And that's if you put a four drop, a four attack creature in the graveyard. So if you put a five or a six attack creature, um, you know, you're getting even more value out of that. Um, which, uh, which I think is, I think is really cool. You know, you, you drop, um, maybe like a candy crush, uh, giant, um, you know, clear some of the board, they clear your candy crush. You drop this on the next turn in a battle mage and you're going to deal six to something in addition to developing a three, five on seven, um, definitely gives you, I think the ability to swing the board in a really powerful way. Um, if you build your deck in a way that can, you can make use of that, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, and that's exactly it. Right. Like, you know, that, that's kind of the thing that maybe says, okay, I really like Breton Conjurer, but Breton Conjurer only deals the one damage. You know, I need to be sure that, you know, as I'm constructing my deck, you know, it's not like I'm going to end up, you know, with a Breton Conjurer and an Ice Storm as the, the cards I curved out before this guy. But, I, I mean, ultimately, it's not that hard to use. You should have something in the grave by that point. You know, and especially if you're running the more mid-rangey kind of <clears throat> style, he's such a great tool. Oh yeah, I don't think like in an aggro deck where you're getting like one to three attack minions, this this card's not for that. In in a control deck where you're probably not playing hardly any minions except maybe some early two drops to slow down your enemy's game plan, um, you probably don't play it in a control deck either. I mean, this is a this is I think in my opinion a really strictly mid range card where you're going to be playing some big guys and you want to get value for them after your buddy after your opponent clears them with a javelin. Um, you know, you can still go back to the graveyard and you're like, you're like yeah, well, you know, you cleared my big guy with a javelin. I'm going to get value out of him now and and kill off one of your other minions, um, even though you you wrecked this thing for five mana. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that is where this card finds value, but probably not in um, probably not in aggro and really maybe not even in control. I think it's a mid range board control card for sure. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And one of the things that when we were evaluating this for podcasting at a time, I basically said, you know, I don't know if this will see play, and if it is, it'll probably be in very specific decks constructed to utilize it. I said, but what what I do know, what I do know is that when set rotation inevitably happens, this guy is going to be really important. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just when we start rotating out some of the removal, some of the you know top end tools that people rely on, this guy is going to come to the. Uh, he's got he's got a great resume. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I I agree. I think that there's going to be several cards in the set that aren't going to see this heyday until they begin looking at rotating cards. Yeah. Um, which they're going to have to do. I know people are all like, you know, they get butthurt about that and they get all upset about it. But it's like, well, you know, hey, like. That is the nature of a card game. If you want a card game that's going to consistently put out content and that content is going to be competitive and you want to enjoy playing it, rotating cards is just part of that. It has to be. There's no other way to do it. The game will be ruined. Either you're going to get a game that never gets content or you're going to get a game that's terrible to play and horribly unpredictable. Um, You know, uh, you got to have you got to have formats and rotations. It just has to happen in this game for sure. Mm hmm. So let me ask you this. If there was a card from this set that you've been most excited about experimenting with, getting onto the field, playing with, um, what's the what's that one card from Moons of Elsewhere? Since we've seen them all now and we've had a chance to play with some, what's the one card for you? I mean, well, I think the I mean the easily best card is Alfie Conjurer. I mean, just from a raw power perspective, I think that that is so easily sliding into tons of decks. I, I wouldn't say I'm most excited for that one. I'm just it's worth throwing out there that I think that that is the best card like clearly. Uh, but no, I, I think, um, uh, I really like, I really like Moongate, uh, because I, okay. I, I'm interested in what that can lend, but I think that Corinth, uh, brawler, Corinth brawler, what I really like about this card, that is the four, four for five wax Wayne when it is wax. So when you play it on curve, it gets plus one, plus one, and cannot be targeted by opponent's actions. And that lasts mm-hmm. for its existence. And then the Wayne uh, is that when you play it, you get one magicka for each enemy creature in the lane. First off, I had a ridiculous game where I was playing it when I was first experimenting with Wax Wayne as an aggressive archetype. And I was doing it in Scout, and I don't think Scout's the way to go, but I'm not I'm not giving up on it yet, because Mammoths and Bleak Coasts are great. Uh, but, um, you know, but that said, I had this ridiculous game where I was playing this Battle Mage, and this aggre- like at hard aggro Battle Mage, like face, you know, time to fight, you know, old school timer, just go face with everything. Uh, had played like three or four things in my lane. Uh, I I countered with a Bleak Coast. Then they played a Harpy and Shackle Bleak Coast. They had a full field lane. And they sent everything face. They didn't trade. Makes sense. Totally agree with that play. Uh, I am on turn four. I hit the Ring of Magicka. I slam down the Brawler, uh, which completely refunds my Magicka back to four. I then slam one Rebellion General and then a second Rebellion General. Uh, both of which, of course, trigger the Wanes again, which refunded the money each time. Uh, and then I played a Skinned Hound, buffed my Bleak Coast, and then played a Mournhold Trader. And it was the stupidest, it was something like 25 points of stats oh, on turn wow. four. Uh, and that's just attack stats. Uh, it was ridiculous. I mean, absolutely insane. And I was able to do it. And Corinth Brawler, because Corinth Brawler against Control, you slam him and he can't be javelined. Against, you know, uh, uh, aggro, if you're behind, especially against something like Halalu, the ability to slam down and, you know, get that, all that money back and keep slamming things. Like that, I think, has potential to be a really interesting meta breaker uh, if we start seeing go wide decks, you know, showing up more often. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's interesting because if, you know, it reminds me of some cards that they, they had in the past where, like, it was just, like, if they had given this, this card uh, guard, um, just like how insanely busted it would be, 
right? <laughs> like, um, cause it, it takes me back, um, whenever I can't, I was literally in bed last night trying to think of this. Um, it's the scout, um, it's a scout card that increases your mana. Attack goes up uh, whenever your mana goes up. Um, uh, Hist Mage. Like, yeah, Hist Mage. Like when Hist Mage was like a four mana three five or something ridiculous like that. <laughs> um, and it like on turn four, they put a four five with guard and gained mana uh, on one turn. And it was just like, wow, like this card, if they threw guard on it, it's like that's the, the level that this could be. Like it could just completely flip the board. Yeah. Um, in your favor. And I, I haven't experimented with it yet because I'm just not, you know, I'm not, I personally am not convinced of the wax wane mechanic. Um, I don't like my game plan, you know, like, oh my gosh, I really need to run this game plan right now. And all that my opponent had to do was decide to go all in on this turn instead of next turn. Mm-hmm. And, and now I'm screwed. I can't come back from it. Um, you know, if I don't have the, the, uh, you know, the, um, support in play to activate like i'm just i'm done because they just chose this turn to go in instead of instead of the other turn and now i can't pull off the the thing that i really needed the silence or the bonus stats or the return on mana that i really needed but there's no doubt that a card like that is definitely gonna i mean anytime they print zero cost cards or things that manipulate and cheat magicka um it always can be exploited someone's gonna figure out how to exploit it um and uh, and you know we'll see that deck on on YouTube and on Reddit and yeah um, and then on the ladder for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you the, the thing is um, with the brawler, I, I really think that like this is a pretty big design implication too. They were willing to give. So you remember when um, Cheesemancer was spoiled, right? Yes. Uh-huh. And it would it would like uh, give itself like random effects of cards that come out, and it gave itself the effect immune to shackle, immune to lethal, immune to enemy card effects, right? Or doing mm-hmm. the uh, actions. And everyone's like, oh, shit, this is going to be the card that... Excuse me, sorry, I don't know if I should have said that, but... That's okay. Uh, this is going to be the card that, you know, ruins, you know, Tribunal's game plan. They're going to have to play something on the board now, <laughs> you know? Uh, and it was a 10-10 named Hulking Scalon. I love the guy, yeah. you know, but it wasn't a tool that could really be levied against, you know, these, you know, from-hand removal decks. And and I was kept saying, I was like, they could print a 5 or a 6 drop that has this effect and it wouldn't be broken because aggro couldn't play it until they'd already either won the game or, or lost it, you know? Sure. Uh, like uh, one, you know, it's not a complete scale on cause it doesn't have leth- immunity to lethal uh, or immunity to shackle. But I mean, simply the ability to kind of throw a wrench in the plans of a control deck like that, like saying, okay, sorry, you can't use your lightning bolt. You can't use your jab. You know, I think that that's valuable. We'll see how valuable, but, you know, it's also awkward because it's positioning itself in green's, you know, strongest slot, arguably, which is at five where they have cliff racers, leaf lurkers, Torvald extortionists, and a lot of mid-range decks probably just want one of those. So yeah, well, green has know, a lot of powerful slots, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah i mean they they do they do for sure you know three and five they just have really weak fours they have really weak uh proactive fours anyways because they they basically are stuck with like vipers and uh stuff yeah. like that which actually is interesting that they printed that new four mana green shackle creature on summon which is i think actually the illicit butcher i don't think it's on people's radar but well, i can I got, see people I got trashed by it the other day. yeah could be by it hard in a <laughs> like a, an aggro assassin deck. I was like, okay, finally, like I'm gonna get the board back. And he just dropped a couple of those, and I was like, well, you win now. So 
that was great. Um, but yeah, I mean, once again, it's it's a four drop that still dies to Ice Storm, but it's it is definitely good. But you're right. I think that this Brawler card, there is definitely potential there, and I've seen people on the ladder sort of experimenting with it. I just don't. I think that there is a deck that it works in. Um, but I don't think it's like a shoe in to if you're running agility, you're throwing this in the deck like it's oh, got to go in. Yeah. Right. You know, there's certain cards where like if you're running anything that has purple, it's like, OK, you want the I'm really good with names of cards until I'm actually recording um, the the two, three vampire with garden. Barrowstalker. Yeah. yeah Barrowstalker. Like Barrowstalker goes in. It's like a shoe. Just just put it in the deck. Um, and there are lots of cards that are just kind of like, yeah, if you're, you're playing that that combination of and that class you just throw those cards in i don't think that card is that um but there will probably be in some decks something that will exploit it yeah um you know i think like even like is there is there like a thing where nixox can exploit this right well no because this is a wax wane not a summon ability um right well, yeah summon still go off though so like it still goes off when summoned even if it's like from grave or from deck or something at least from what i understand but if you have this on board, and let's say the opponent has four, and you play a Nyx Ox, get five mana back, it won't trigger this ability and give you four more mana as well. Uh, if you're talking about... The Brawler. On a Wax Wayne turn? Well, is that what you're yeah. saying? No, I'm saying, like, let's say I have Brawler on the board already, right? Already used their mm-hmm. ability. And then in the future, on turn seven, I drop Nyx Ox that triggers... Oh no, Nyx Ox doesn't trigger summon abilities, it just gives yeah. mana back. The yeah. one that What's the card that like the uh, triggers band. summon abilities? Ulfric's Uprising. Yeah, yeah, that's what that that's yeah, what yeah. it is, and that's part of that Nixox deck too. But this wouldn't even work with Ulfric's Uprising, correct? No, I don't think so. It's it's because it's not technically. I see what you're saying. It's not technically a summon. If you fish it from grave or deck, I think it still gets its ability uh, when it mm-hmm. comes into play. But it, then it's locked. I think. Uh, I don't think it re-triggers summons. I could be wrong on that. It could just be a clarification, like an extension of summon, but. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, though, they'll put something on there that says like this is this is a summon ability. Um, mm. You know, like even there's a card in this one that has consume, but it's pilfer, and when you pilfer, you get to consume. Um, and I didn't I didn't realize that until I saw the card played against me, and I was like, why didn't you consume? Um, that's like the Sench Sanch Grave Prowler. It's a six mana five five inch strength, mm. um, but it, you have to pilfer before you can consume. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't I think they would say summon wax wane if they wanted that to trigger with Ulfric's uprising um for sure uh so my favorite card in the set and this this is probably not a good card but i the, the artwork i loved on it um is the dromoth uh Dro, dromothra reaper is that yeah i think that's how you pronounce it so that's the two like dromothra dromoth yeah Ma is a separate thing, and then Athra. But I, I have only taken basic Kajiti from Lord Costa, who's a lore master. <laughs> okay. So whenever he pronounces it some way, I just listen to him. <laughs> He's the guy who knows. But I can't. Um, <laughs> so this is the two mana three two, um, uh, legendary in, uh, in endurance in purple. It reads: Summon, consume a creature, and when a creature leaves your discard pile, um, Dramatha Reaper gets plus zero plus one, and you gain one health. And um, I have been surprised 
by this card um, because it comes into play with what is probably my second favorite card, which is because I like consume, which is the imbued Argonian, which is a one mana one, three with guard that when you consume, it gives the creature that consumed it plus one plus one in guard. So you drop this thing. Once it dies, you consume it with the Reaper and, um, and you have a four, four with guard for two mana that gave you a health back and its health can continue to grow. If you keep consuming things, um, Definitely, uh, the like the, the combination of those two are the things that I've been toying around with. Um, I think that there are some other imbued cards that are good as well, but this one by nature dies because it has guard, so people are going to have to kill it. Um, and I, I've really enjoyed um, just a one mana one three with guard is just not bad for slowing down your enemy's gameplay. Um, and then this continues to like it's an over it's going to be an overstated minion. It's going to return your health. They have to get rid of it so it won't continue to grow. So aggro wants to continue to get rid of this card and it drags you into some mid range turns that the decks that I've been playing really want to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this probably isn't going to be a good card in another month. Um, and I probably won't play it anymore, but, um, really definitely dig it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And Alfie Conjurer, like, I think everyone likes that card. I like it as well. I think it's super powerful. Um, and then finally, I, you know, this is probably my second favorite. I don't know. I have like five favorites. Um, but the flame, <laughs> the flame spear dragon is just really cool. Um, you know, I feel like it sort of ties you over before you're going to play Blood Dragon in uh, any sort of a red deck that's running dragons. Um, it pops wards, which with Covenant, uh, Daggerfall Covenant being out there a lot, um, there is a lot of wards in the game right now. And it's just like, OK, go ahead and play play out your big dude with a ward. I'm just going to pop his ward on my turn, um, which you're going to pay a couple of mana to get the value for that ward. And I'm, I'm just going to get rid of it. So I think Flame Spear Dragon's cool and it doesn't die to Bolt, which is important on four so like flame spear it's sure. interesting I, I i have a question though it's just like does it uh i i the way i was reading it is whatever the last creature they play is the one that's targeted by him right yes uh-huh. so it'll move from one to the other it doesn't target all of them because that'd be nuts yeah if it targeted like everything you played in the last turn it would be crazy it targets the most recent thing you played um but let's say you you played something one turn it's gonna ping it if you don't play a new creature next turn let's say you remove something but you don't have any mana to play it's gonna shoot that same creature again oh so it's it stays on target and every turn it shoots the creature that you played the most recently it is you can play around it for sure it's just annoying i think it interrupts your opponent's gameplay and they have to do something that is oftentimes like not ideal it's not their best play um because this thing's on the board because they want to play the crappier creature second or they want to wait to play their their other creature because they really don't want you to ping it at all um to put it within bolt range or something um so i i i think it just screws with your opponent's turn and i like stuff that does that yeah I can respect that. I can also see the fun. I've been saying for a while that I think Skuma Racketeer is not a bad card uh, to just hand poison to something or lethal. And, mm. No, that, that would be a fun thing to do because you still get a body. Anyways, I know nobody will agree with me, but I think Skuma Racketeer is not a terrible card. It just needs the right thing to put lethal on. And maybe Flame Spear Dragon is that right thing. Yeah, maybe. that wouldn't. That wouldn't be bad. Um, you know, in, in similar, like in these in these Dragon X where you're running yellow, you can run Devour um, and Devour something to give those those um, keywords to a, a creature in your hand. And yeah. I did get uh, – I devoured something with – I devoured, I think, like um, 
I can't remember what it was. It was something with lethal. It was like an Astrid or something like that. Um, or something. Yeah, Sanctuary Pet was maybe it, and put Lethal on this, which was which was really annoying. And the thing, the combo that I've been trying to get off is the legendary dragon from Red, Mala Memnar or something like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've been trying to to drop the the little Redoran guy that has Charge, uh, Ward, and Drain, mm-hmm. um, hit him and hit in face, and then devour my own creature <laughs> um, to drop dro- uh, Ward, Charge, and Drain on this creature to be able to drop, kill something with Ward, kill something again, and then attack face still, um, and just like just wreck, just pull like thirty some health in one turn. That's I think wild. It would be a ton of fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty wild. I haven't been able to pull it off yet, but one day I will definitely pull it off, and it will be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> it will that's, be incredible. I've seen people playing it with uh, Berserker of the Pale, uh, you know, as a 12-mana uh, combo. So you play Berserker of the Pale, which gives uh, a creature with five power more, plus one, plus one, and breakthrough. So mm. then that, when you pull down, you know, slam down Malamnir on uh, 12, then it goes eat, 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 and then potentially is like similar to a Rage OTK. Yeah, that would be really powerful. Just like one turn, just like destroy people with it. Um, yeah. Yeah, that has a potential to be a really cool card. A uh, really cool card. I think there's some there's some room to exploit that card too, for sure. Yeah. Um, there's definitely some room. So uh, I think I, I, I think that's about covered um the the questions that i asked you about right oh the the other one was do you think there was a card that you think is most overrated in this set uh yes and it's going to be pretty ironic i think malamnir is the most overrated card in the set (laughs) okay sure yeah um say you have a reason why yeah you know i i played with i played against him quite a bit and the only times he was particularly good was when i'd already lost the game right uh, and he's really great against tokens, but if it gets to turn nine and tokens haven't killed you yet, I mean, you're probably, uh, going to win anyways. And effectively does to tokens what Ice Storm does three Magicka earlier, you know, or debilitate. Yeah. So like my issue with Malomnir is like the only thing I can really feel like he's great for is, um, like OTK shenanigans, which is awesome. But like the thing is. In this day and age, if you're running control and you need Malomnir as a controlling tool, you're probably not running the right class, You know, at least in the competitive sense. And I'm, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I'm focusing on here, because I think all cards are playable in, in some way, shape, or form. You know, but uh, And I'm, I love exploring that. But I think in the competitive scene, I think Malomnir, and I could be totally wrong, uh, I just uh, – it seems to me that if he could do it until he died, he would be amazing. But since sure. you can only target something that, like, as long as he won't die to it, I think it's a, a much bigger problem because, like, you can't, you can't go. I'm gonna clear these two small things and then remove their, you know, Candy Crush, and that's where he would really shine. Uh, but sure, if you can get him to one case, life yeah. and then clear a big boy on top of that. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think if that was the case, he would be a really, really potent card, and I think it would be a great inclusion. I think, but. As it stands now, I just I'm not I'm not certain he's worth nine Magicka. I think if he came down at seven or eight, you know, with maybe reduced stats, the effect would be super super valuable. Uh, but at nine, you know, he kind of does what Ancano does. Uh, he kind of does what Hiking Emmerich does, uh, or Emmerich Warlord or whatever he's called, the newer one. You know, but Emmerich comes down, he's more resilient. Ancano can go face, you know. Skeletal Mage, we were just talking about Skeletal Mage. You know, and maybe he goes in one of those decks that doesn't have access to blue, uh, you know, but 
Yeah, I'm just uh, he. I, I I remain to be you know impressed by him. To be fair, by context, I felt like Jor and the Scout King. It was an overrated card from Alliance War. Still think that actually, but um, so that's that's how much my opinions are worth for overrated cards. <laughs> well, you know, I I don't disagree with the fact that I I've played this card three times so far, and um, one of those three times it felt good. Um, the other two, it just felt bad. It was just like, ooh. Well, the only thing I want to remove really is that big guy. But if I remove anything else on the board, I'm not going to be able to remove him. And then they'll just be able to shoot my guy down like really easy, really cheap with their two drop. Um, and so I, I can I can definitely see that where, you know, honestly, I haven't watched a ton of stuff to say, um, you know, at first I thought like Alfie Conjurer might have been an overrated card. Um, I've firmly changed my stance on that um i don't i don't think it's a super overrated card um i'll I'll be honest i think it's not really a card for me um a particular card because i think there are many cards in this set that will actually be underrated that will will come to the forefront over time um that maybe i'm looking at right now and i'm not super impressed with them um but the i think that the wax wane mechanic in general I would be surprised if that sticks around um, yeah. as something competitive. I think it's fun. I think it's a really cool mechanic. Um, but I would just be surprised if it if it stuck around as something that's, you know, when you can get both to go off on a turn with the shrine, it's very powerful. But if you don't have that, it just often feels like your opponent who's playing it is always just trying to, figure out how they can live to the next turn to do what they want. Or um, how can I make this card that's not going to do the ideal thing this turn work for me? Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure there's times when that's not the case, but I love versatility in cards, which is one of the reasons that I like some of the dual cards that came out. Um, but this is like a really restrained versatility um, that's tied to something that you literally cannot manipulate. You know, it's not like it's tied to mana that you can, well, I'm going to increase my mana this turn, so next turn I can get the thing that I want, or I'm going to increase my mana this turn, so now my correct wax or wane is going to go off. Um, it's tied to something that you're completely incapable of manipulating, and the the upside on the wax or the wane is not big enough for me to care about it. Like, it's not like, ooh, if you get either wax or wane, it's really strong either direction, plus there's some versatility. It's just like, nope, these are normally statted or understatted creatures or cards um that are versatile but not in a way that you can really take advantage of it um, no, yeah, i i definitely get that uh i think that the best way to play and i'm gonna i mean i'm sure it'll turn out that i'm completely wrong but i think the best way to play wax Wayne will be an assassin uh hence why i've been testing that pretty heavily and i think there's a couple of reasons for that one you have the the highest payoff cards there's three really big payoff cards for wax wayne and uh one is in blue one is in green and the other one is moongate so you know that's neutral but sure. uh you know, rebellion general gets that the ability to trigger all the other ones yeah that's and a then, really strong card uh, yeah uh frazzled alfique is surprisingly potent if you can get it stick like 
the Alphique is a huge payoff card. And just being able to ping either face uh, or pinging, you know, and honestly, pinging uh, wards off of things, uh, pinging, you know, a Shrieking Harpy that's in the shadow that's going to trade up with a two attack. You can, you know, just clear that off. I mean, the ability for you to ha- stick an Alph- a Frazzled Alphique, you, if you play it, uh, you know, either, uh, I think if you play it above curve, but I'm going to double check that. Um, and I think it's just going to be learning, like, the, the tempo swings on it. Because it, what it is, is it, it's got turn-based power spikes. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. And if you can like really make the most of those turns where you're spiking the correct wax and wanes or you're triggering them like extra, um, then I think it's a really potent deck. Is it going to be better than standard, you know, tempo assassin? I actually think it's a little more resilient than standard tempo assassin. It just sacrifices some of the raw, you know, aggressive potential. Uh, but uh, and I think probably the Corinth brawlers maybe maybe don't make the cut in this version you know i played them because they were wax wayne and it was on synergy but i think giant snakes maybe go in there instead but i mean like frazzled off if you play it on curve it's a two three for two which is fine good stats but the kicker is that if you continue curving out wax wayne's he keeps doing dope shit <laughs> yeah that that is true like if you can get this down you know it's not like the other wax wayne's where you're getting the one time ability um you know this is one where you're going to keep it can if it sticks you're going to keep getting stuff um which is cool i mean that that definitely is and i i watched the animation for it today for the first time and um well it's, it's interesting cute. it's so cute little kitty and, uh, and he looks goes, like yeah. pikachu yeah it looks like a <laughs> pikachu <laughs> yeah uh, just like elect it's like crawls off the card i'm like wow they put <laughs> they put a lot of Dude. time into this card's animation for some reason you, uh if you like that one you need to check out actually another fan favorite card of mine which i'm really excited to do some more work with and see i, I put one copy in my uh mid bm and it worked really really well the time that i saw it uh blast bones first off cool really cool card but definitely check out the animation. The animation is sick. It's so cool. <laughs> really? Because this is the coolest animation. This is one card that I was like, I'll probably never play that card. But if the animation is cool, I'll definitely check it out. Um, yeah, uh, I think it's really, I think it's, I, I think it's really underrated. I think that's another really underrated card. Is uh, actually we didn't talk underrated, but uh, but yeah, yeah sure. I think that was. Uh, I also think as far as you know, Wax Wayne cards that could see play as individual cards, not as part of a uh, larger archetype i think moon phase soothe the three mana two two and green uh wax plus one plus one drain which is so on curve it's a three mana three three with drain sure. uh, and then waves draw a card i think that might find its way into like a telvani eventually maybe even like a scout because what it does is it gives you a um golden initiate on curve right now not prophecy but it gives you golden initiate on curve sure but if it's you're off curve and you're in the control mirror you can just play down a three mana you know draw a card and then you can just blow it up with cool fire bloom or something uh, you know and i think it's a niche i don't think it'll ever be a staple but i i can see that card getting worked in and i'm looking forward to experimenting with that in like telvani yeah i want that card in a different color um because green has so much draw um, that if you're just wanting this card to draw, like play the other draw cards. Um, if you're wanting, like, it, I think the thing that makes the, the golden saint playable is the fact that it has prophecy. Cause I remember when they spoiled it, everyone was like, yeah, this kind of sucks. Um, you know, who really cares about drain? And it's just a three, three, but when it started coming out on a prophecy, people were like, wow, this, this card's pretty mm-hmm. boss. Um, so a three three you know that you can't get off a of prophecy with drain it could be good um but once again it's like one of those colors where green does have some options for drain and it has so much card draw it's just like 
it's just a stupid amount of card draw. Um, and so I don't know, like, I, I think that this card will find niche play in some decks who are just looking to burn cards and they need to draw a lot in control where you just, the early game you want to body and you want to be able to draw. Um, but I think, or be able to survive a little bit. Um, but I think this card in particular would have seen more play if it wasn't in green. Yeah, I was thinking about that actually because like the servant of Jacques which is the uh, the three mana two two out of purple, which is Waxwing, which is you know on curve it's a four four, so mm-hmm. on curve it's a mammoth without breakthrough, uh, and off curve it is a two two that silences. I would have loved to have seen those two colors switched, giving green a silence, giving uh, purple a draw. Yes, I think that they intentionally don't give purple much draw. Um. Because yeah. they've already made it super broken in many ways. <laughs> um, but, but you're right. Well, if those yeah. two cards were switched in Keller, um, I think that both of them would actually see more play. Well, my argu- well yeah, and my argument here is that it basically says uh, you choose between Endora Mastermind and this card. You know, And nobody's really running Endora Mastermind, but they might be persuaded to run servant because of its ability to sometimes be a 4-4 and sometimes be a you know a, a draw excuse me it was be moon phase at that point and this is all hypothetical you know but uh yeah, but I, I understand what you're saying yeah yeah uh because then it would be like okay mastermind i always get a card no matter what turn i play it on but if i were to play this other one i would get so i you know i think the three mana like i think a card that just draws one card normally purple goes over to other colors to pick up their card draw you know, um, yes. so if you're already going over there to pick up better card draw, you know, then then you have it. But I would have loved to see a silence outside of purple because purple has a jabillion silences. They don't need more. Yeah, they just keep putting more and more and more and more in there. Um, yeah, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of silences in, in purple already um, for sure. Well, um, you know, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to add uh, thoughts on uh, moons over or moons of elsewhere before uh, before we move on to the last last topic? Uh, not really. I, I just I am having a lot of fun with it and uh, I am looking forward to messing around with some uh, maybe control scout or something with. Actually, there's another wax wane moon touched guardian because just simply the ability to buff my necromancer seems really good. Um Mm, I heard mm-hmm. this new Necromancer animation. I'm really excited to see. I haven't I haven't played anything with Necromancer in it because I've been playing new stuff, but I'm excited to see the new animation. Uh, the new animation is sick. Yeah. yeah, it makes you want to play it more, which you already see enough of it. But uh, yeah, it's 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 super good. It's it's a it's a really cool animation. Um, and I agree. I think that there's lots of fun to have in this set. Um, when Alliance War came out, I was like stuck on a Slay Halalu deck, and I I didn't get off of that, and I got bored with it, and then didn't come back to the game for a little bit. Um, in this this set, I don't really see that happening. Um, I see there being a lot of opportunity here, and um, honestly, my Consume Sorcerer deck climbed me some ranks, so I'm up in you know, like 565, 70 range right now in Legend. So that's the highest I think I've ever, I've never tried, once I got to Legend, never tried to play in mm-hmm. in Legend for any any reason other than memeing or something. Um, and so this is the first time I've given it a little bit of a try, and, and I've enjoyed it. I've definitely enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, it's crazy in this game because you you jump on and all of a sudden you're up against Tortoise Link and, uh, and, <laughs> and you know, uh, <laughs> like uh, uh, Ian or... Um, Ian Bits. Yeah, Ian Bits. And I was like, the other day I logged on and I was like, I'm just going to play a game. And I was I was fighting for Legend and Ian Bits was one of my opponents. And I was like, well, that sucks. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not only yeah, is he going to be playing something ridiculous. You, beat them, you feel so cool. Oh, 
yeah, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't happen. It doesn't really happen that often. Um, but it is kind of crazy that you get to play against some of these, you know, players that you see streaming and see in the tournaments. And you're like, wow, you know, the yeah. community is small enough that when I queue up, sometimes I actually get to queue up against these, um, these players who, uh, you know, I kind of watch to learn from um, is definitely really cool. Definitely yeah. cool. Well, um, you'll have to pass that list so I can give it a try. Yeah, sure. I'll I'll have to I'll have to send it over to you. Okay. So the last thing that I just wanted to address real quick is we had a guy. I try to honor anyone who will send us an email. I, I try to honor that. So a guy named Dwayne sent us an email, and um, he was basically just asking like, hey, what do you do when you when you're thinking about strategy? How do you think about strategy? And, and what he basically said was he's not looking for anything on a specific deck, but in any scenario, kind of like what are you thinking about? What's going through your brain when you're playing a deck, and you're sort of trying to Think about what your opponent is going to play. How do you strategize about playing around maybe what they've got in their hand or what they might have in a couple of turns and, and how you play the cards from your hand um, in accordance with, with thinking about what they're playing? So I don't know, do you have any uh, any um, advice on that, uh, Deb Nerd? Well, I think that like a lot of it is watch a lot of content and then be also like be very – thoughtful about when you're playing against an opponent at the end of the game think what did my opponent just play what were their openings because i think that's the biggest thing is like openings you know the first three or four turns should give you a very clear idea you know of how they want to play now sometimes your game plan doesn't change that much if you're playing like a hyper aggro list i mean your game plan is just go face and you know get threats down the board if you're playing a more mid-range or control style you need to quickly evaluate am you know if if this is an enemy control deck is this guy more controlly than i am you know, does his control beat my control? Do I need to, you know, start getting a little more proactive? Like, those are all things that, like, you need to read in the first three or four turns that, that starts with opening plays. I mean, there's, like, specific cards. Like, if I ever see a Fighter's Guild recruit, if I ever see a Fighter's Guild recruit, I'm immediately saying, okay, they're not aggro. Now, that may not be the case at the, uh, at the you know, at lower ranks, you know, but anyone with a brain is going to not run Fighters Guild Recruit in their aggro list, okay? Um, and so things like that, right? But, uh, you know, rapid shots. Rapid shots generally indicate um, that it's going to be at least a mid-rangey, if not a controlling archetype. So, of course, if you're judging, hey, I'm aggro, then you know, okay, I'm faster than them, right? Uh, but if you're control and you say rapid shot, well, then that doesn't quite give you enough information. You need to dig deeper. And you start piecing together what their game plan is. I, I actually did lose because I didn't. Uh, the, like earlier today, actually, because I didn't properly uh, evaluate the game plan. Uh, I was looking at Crusader and I was just ready to accept that it was going to be an aggro -y or token Crusader. Uh, my opponent kind of led off with a Stormcloak Vanguard and I said, hey, okay, that's in a lot of Crusader decks, but it's in aggro, therefore this guy must be aggro. He then played Grizzly Gourmet and I said, hey, that's a nice tech option. Very cool. Nice, interesting. Uh, and it wasn't until he slammed a Phalanx Exemplar that I said, man, this guy is not aggro. <laughs> I, I totally misjudged uh, the situation here, uh, and now I like have I because I was playing you know uh, very greedy, which is saying okay he's got to play his proactive threats at some point you know he's got to slam his aggressive creatures and I'll just clean them up with you know my cloud rest and trade so I'm gonna just you know and then of course the exemplar came down I'm like uh, let's hope I top deck a Penitus you know <laughs> so. Uh, I mean, it's just all the it's openers. It's just evaluating the opening plays and, you know, trying to figure out, am I the controlling deck or am I the aggressive deck? Because in every matchup, I mean, this is basics like this is this is actually like anything that's I think and I don't play magic, but anything that's like like magic based, like turn based, like, OK, I'm attacking, you're attacking anything that's 
like that, you quickly need to evaluate, am I the aggressor or the controller? And just because you're controlled doesn't mean you're the controller. So, for instance, Tribunal uh, going into Ebonheart. Now, Ebonheart's been nerfed, so I don't know what it's like anymore. But you know, Tribunal going to pre-nerf Ebonheart said, okay, crap, I've got to be the aggressor here because the Ebonheart late game is better. It's just mm. better. You can kill my big chonky threats, you know, replace it with their own, with Defiler. I've got to get aggressive on them. So, like, that's why we saw Tribunal getting a lot more streamlined into a more mid-rangey approach. Actually, by the end of the, the Master Series qualifiers, we saw Tribunal go from a hard control, a lot of from-hand removal, down to a, you know, a, a kind of running Hive Defenders again and running, you know, Exemplars maybe even and Divine Fervors and just trying to get threats down. I mean, when you see a Mammoth in a Tribunal list, you know that they're worried about those high top end uh you know control decks like Ebonheart. so i mean i guess i hope that was good information yeah i think a lot of it is just knowing matchups right like playing a deck to know matchups and um because when you when you go in and you you see that they're going to be playing Ebonheart control like you said you're like okay i'm, I'm playing against something very different than if i'm playing against an agro crusader right now and i need to play my game very differently and in in this game in particular in tessel you really have to know whether or not you're the aggressor or you're the defender um because of the rune system in other games it's not nearly as important because they just have a health total and yes you want to know whether or not you want to be defending or attacking um but in this like you don't want to give your aggressor more cards so if you're in a defensible position and you're going to try to kill them in one shot you need to know that pretty early on so that you don't put damage on them or start breaking runes and and just hand them the game and so evaluating what your matchup is very very quickly familiarizing yourself enough with the game and then from there it's i think really learning what are the power spikes of the matchup that i'm in right um so if i'm playing um let's okay i played redder and beat down the whole way to legend this past month and that's my my go-to deck and if i am up against let's just say in, in this hypothetical situation right i'm against tribunal control and i recognize that it's tribunal control in the beginning well i'm going into turn five so i'm gonna go probably a little bit wider and i'm gonna play maybe instead of playing my five drop i might play two two drops why because i know that their turn five their power spike is to either javelin um, or to cast into time and if they do one of those two things they're just going to remove my thing one for one but then the next turn my plan shifts because on turn six they're going to be playing ice storm so i don't want to give them things less than three health if they're going to ice storm i want them to leave something on the board and leave me with control of the board rather than clearing the board completely and so now i'm going to be dropping my bleak foes troll even if it's not the thing that's like the most ideal thing on curve um i don't want to be putting it into their hands and say if you have ice storm you win right now because i played you know the most ideal hand that i had but now my entire board gets cleared by ice storm and i think knowing kind of like what are some of the power spikes of your opponent um is is definitely really important and then if you're on the other side and you're playing control it's important to know what are the power spikes of the aggro player um you know are or am I going to see, um, you know, if I, if I have my cast at a time and they got a three thread on the board that's beating me in the face, sure, I want to remove that thing. But if, if they're playing some variant of warrior and I know there's a chance that uh, the danger is going to come down the five, five with taunt that deals five damage to me on last gasp. Um, I don't want to get rid of my, my, my uh, cast into time. I want to hold that in my hand, even though 
I may even be passing my turn not getting rid of this 3-3. I'm like, you know what? Maybe you're going to give me another card with this 3-3. And if you drop that on your turn, on turn five, I need to be able to get rid of that. So I need to know what the uh, what the matchup is. And then you need to be able to quickly identify what are the power spikes and what answers do I have to those power spikes. Um, because you need to be ready for those things. Because if they're going to flip the board, you need to be able to flip it back. And uh, I think those are the things that are often in my mind, at least when I'm playing, is what is my matchup? Okay, now I know my matchup. What cards am I worrying about? Um, you know, if I'm turn seven and they're going into turn eight in their control, I'm not putting all my stuff in one lane um, because I know that they may be able to clear one entire lane. So I want to split lanes and make them choose, you know, which lane do you want to clear? There's one better than the other. Um, so I think that uh, I think that that's important, too, is, is just knowing what your enemy's game plan is and knowing what their power spikes are for removal specifically. Yeah, I, th- I think one thing that you just said that, that I felt like was really, really important. Um, was knowing your deck and under starting to learn from matches that don't go your way. When you lose a match, say, this is the deck that I'm committing to playing regularly. I like this deck. I feel good on this deck. But when I lose a game, why did I just lose this game, right? Mm. Was it about the enemy's deck or my play? And if you if you determine it's not my play, if you said, okay, I played my game plan and I played my game game plan correctly and I still lost, then maybe it's the matchup. And the way that you execute your game plan, maybe you need to switch. For example, and I, I always feel like this is worth bringing up when we talk about like matchups. Um, my first season laddering to legend, uh, my first month streaming, uh, I got really into Factotum uh, Journey Archer because it had a great matchup against Conscription Talvani. Um, and so I broke it down. I said, okay, nobody's really expecting this. I'm going to be able to kind of control Archer. I'm going to handle Conscription Talvani really well because their conscriptions are not going to be as good as my conscriptions. Uh, and then I'm going to journey faster than they are because I have less cards in my deck, right? Um, sure. And so it worked really well. And it, it could, because it's, you know, because it could control with lethal pings, it could handle, you know, more aggressive decks and stuff. But I remember when I played, uh, like, one of it's on my YouTube page. I'll have to look it up at some point. But I, I was playing uh, against Redoran uh, Conscription using Praetorian Commander, which was popular at the time. And I had learned after several games of losing this thing that I couldn't handle that deck. I could not be the controlling player against that deck because they're unlike you know conscription to body their conscriptions were amazing with things like the Redoran forerunner and all you know all these uh really great buffed up cards for praetorian commander they could sit back and say all right i'm gonna play praetorian commander over and over and by the time i journey their guys are the same stat lines as my journeyed creatures right uh <laughs> and so i remember <laughs> that's not good for you no it's not <laughs> And so I remember playing into it, and I'm like on the the game to go ranking up, and it'd been a long day. And I look, and I I'm playing against Redder, and I'm like, okay, is it aggro, whatever? And above curve on turn five, they slam Praetorian Commander. I say, oh crap, I have to complete. I had a great defensive hand. I said I have to completely switch gears, and with my small little creatures like Thieves Guild recruits and crap like that, I have to get aggressive because there's no way I win. There's no way my, my deck's not designed to go aggressive, but I said there is absolutely 0% chance of winning playing control. And so I took the shot and I said, all right, I'm going to go aggressive. Uh, and long story short, I, I executed really well. I managed to ride some leaf lurkers and, and the bottom line is 
It was close, but I pulled out the win against a really low win rate deck. And it's because I decided, hey, I'm going to play this completely wrong. I'm going to change my game plan. My deck's game plan is dead. I have to make use of the cards I have to try to play a different way. Sometimes you just have to accept that um, and and not try to just force your game plan. Yeah, and, and Tessel lends itself to pivoting um, mm-hmm. better than many other games out there. You can be like, you know what, we're doing something new. <laughs> and even without the most ideal cards to do it, you can pivot in this game, which is cool um, for sure. Uh, okay, the, uh, I would say my last bit of advice is this, is like as you're getting into the habit, like um, try, if you're trying to be competitive, like choose a deck at the beginning of the month in the season and just play that deck for a season. Um, and if you're going to net deck, net deck one that you know is going to be pretty strong, you think is going to be pretty close to top tier. If you've been deck building for a while and you just have one you want to experiment with and you're going to tweak it, that's fine. But get used to one. If you've played um, Agro Halalu, you know, five or ten games and you keep losing, it's probably not because the deck's bad and it's probably not because you're a bad player. It's just probably because you haven't committed enough games to it. Um, when I started with this this last month with Redoran um, Beatdown, um, I knew that it was going to be a strong deck just because the meta was lending itself to like high statted heavy-bodied minions were definitely what needed to be played, and uh, I didn't need a lot of removal at the time. I knew that from what I was seeing on the ladder, and so I just committed to it. I tweaked it a few times, and I didn't have a great win rate right from the beginning, Um, but as I began to learn how to play against the decks that were on the ladder, um, I climbed. Once I figured that out, like, it was just, like, lightning. It was like, boom. I was, I think I was ranked uh, I don't know, like 10 or 12 when I started this this month. And um, once I figured out that I sort of like went up and down in the rank 12 region for a day or so. Once I figured it out, it was literally like 48 hours. I was legend um, just because I was just just tearing up the ladder. And some of that has to do with tweaking, but most of it has to do with I just learned the deck. And sometimes you just have to commit like, OK, this is the deck I'm going to play. I'm not just going to get frustrated with it. You know, honestly, Telvani, um, Conscription Telvani was a deck I was super frustrated with. It took me, you know, days of playing that game, a week or more of playing that game before that deck, before I even figured out how the heck I was supposed to be playing it. Um, and once I learned how to play it, it's like, oh, I don't just throw my creatures down needlessly. Like, oh, I wait for better opportunities for these things. Um, once I once I figured it out, I, I got a pretty good win rate on it. But initially, it was awful, and I couldn't figure it out, and I was so frustrated with it. So you kind of have to commit and learn a deck and learn its matchups. Yeah, definitely true. Yeah. And that's something that I'm totally guilty of because I like playing lots of different things. Uh, it, but you're definitely right. It's one of those things, like, sometimes, like, especially, you know, I would argue that Halalu is a fairly nuanced uh, deck. It's very powerful. Its game plan is clear, but the execution of the cards, there's a lot of ordering that's really important in that deck. And so it can be, you know, if, if Halalu is something that you're struggling with, you know, really take some time with it because, you know, and start thinking really carefully. I, th- I find aggro decks, I, th- I find that people don't always improve super fast on aggro because they play too fast, mm-hmm. you know? You just think, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. I just throw out as many cards as I possibly can. Sometimes you're playing into someone's trap. Yeah, for sure. Well, hey, Dwayne, thank you so much for writing in to us, and uh, I hope that you get a chance to listen to this, and I hope that's helpful in in what you're doing. I really have no idea how long this episode is because we've had a couple of technical issues, and I have two recordings, but this one's 42 minutes long, and I think the other one was about that, so I'm sure this is a long episode. Um, So let's go ahead and and sort of wrap it up. If you want to get connected with me, um, I'm not on the social medias anywhere. I'm off the grid, but you can email me at eslegendscast at gmail.com. 
that's ES Elder Scrolls um, Legends cast at gmail.com. Um, so shoot me an email. You're not going to find me online. You're not going to find me on Twitch. I'm not a streamer, um, but I'd love to chat Elder Scrolls with you or, or really anything else. So send me in questions or thoughts or a deck that you're working on. Um, I'd love to, uh, to talk about it. Um, Deadbroke Nerd, can you tell us where people will be able to find you? Yeah, so uh, I am on Twitch and YouTube, um, Deadbroke Nerd at both. So twitch.tv slash Deadbroke Nerd. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Deadbroke Nerd. It's pretty nice. They didn't have that one covered. Uh, I was a little surprised. But uh, yeah, so so Twitch, YouTube, and um, uh, Twitter, best places to find me. You'll also see me hanging out in the Team Rankstar Discord. I also write guest articles. Actually, not I'm on their content team. It's not a guest anymore. I write articles for Team Rank Star about Tessel. Um, and occasionally, if you watch any of the Team Rank Star tournaments, I'm a caster there. Uh, so you can find me all over the place. I kind of do too much, honestly. I, I tend to put too much on my plate. Uh, you can also check out, um, yeah, I mean, just, just Team Rank Star stuff. I'm, I'm on there. I'm on their YouTube page where I do interviews. Uh, so I'm all over the stupid place. Uh, but if you can't find me, feel free to shout out into the digital cloud, and I will probably have, there'll probably be someone who knows to get you in touch with me. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, if, if, if Elder Scrolls ever really goes big um, and <laughs> there's money to make for being a content creator and be, being well-connected, um, Deadbroke Nerd will be on the top of that list of uh, <laughs> of people who can't because you're certainly one of the most connected individuals that I've seen in this game. Um, it just seems like every time I turn to something else or someone else talking about you, you're on something else or, or involved with something else, um, which is which is super cool. And just from like my personal experience, if you're looking for a streamer to listen to, um, A, that's safe to listen to while you're at work, um, Deadbroke Nerd's the guy to go to and so um, he's someone who I've really enjoyed listening to, really enjoyed tuning into his stream, he's educational um, he's engaged with his chat um, so you can always ask him questions um, and, and always open, he's uh, the only streamer that I'm subscribed to because I'm one of those cheap only Amazon Prime subscribers um, and Deadbroke Nerd's the guy who gets my subscription so um, definitely check out his Twitch stream, tune in with him once he's back on here and I'm assuming another couple days he'll be back online um, streaming again and so, yeah, make sure that you check him out. Make sure you give him some love. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, go and, and check out and subscribe to his YouTube page. See what he's putting out there because he's putting some fantastic content out for this game. And, and he's he's quickly becoming one of the one of the hardest working community um, members that that's out there in terms of the content that he's that he's pumping out. So um, definitely check out Deadbrook Nerd online for sure. Um, OK, well, hey, man, that 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 about does it. That's everything. That's everything. So thanks so much for tuning in and uh, and joining us here at the uh, Elder Scrolls Legends podcast, Legends Cast. Once again, I'm sorry for a couple of the technical difficulties that we did run into um, during the show, but we're so glad that you tuned in with us. If you want to get in contact with us, reach out over email at eslegendscast at gmail.com. That's going to do it for episode number three. Come back for episode number four in the near future. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Legend Casts, a podcast about Elder Scrolls Legends. If you're looking for more ways to get connected with us and our community, email us at eslegendcasts at gmail.com and be sure to come back for our next episode.